Welcome to Focused on Forward. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Focused on Forward. Today I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Rena Friedman Watts. So before we came on the air, uh, I had an opportunity to talk with her uh, pre-interview and I've, I've absolutely been just loving my conversation with Rena, and I think you guys will as well. So Rena has a pretty interesting story of going from a massive career change into being a podcaster. And so we're going to talk about some of the challenges that Rena went through in, uh, in, in years past, some of the things that she had to overcome and how that led to her career change and how, how and why she's doing what she's doing now. And then we're going to talk about her show and what's kind of going on over there and why you guys should be listening to the awesome work that Rena is doing on her side of the microphone. So Rena, thank you so much for being a guest of Focused on Forward. That was such an incredible intro. I love it. Thank oh, you goodness. for having me. <laughs> well, excellent. So yeah, um, I tell you what, I'll just turn the microphone over to you and I'll jump in with some questions every now and then. If you want, just go ahead and include us in your story. Yeah, so I started in radio. I worked for an NPR station at Purdue. It was called AM920 WBAA, listener-supported public radio from Purdue. I worked there for two years and absolutely loved my time there, wanted to work in radio. I drove up to Chicago from West Lafayette, Indiana, and got to interview there, but I didn't get the job. And then (laughs) I saw a flyer that Jerry Springer was looking for interns on that very trip. So I reached out to the number on the flyer. I am totally dating myself right now. And... (laughs) Ended up walking across to NBC Tower and getting an internship and starting two weeks later. So it was my fate to work in the entertainment industry, which I always wanted to do. Um, From a young age, my grandfather talked about doing the lights on Broadway, and he just really glamorized that industry. And so my family was actually very proud of me for getting a job on Jerry Springer. They thought it was cool. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I grew up in Kentucky where I heard stories like that. So I was very able to talk to the people who were wanting to be on the show. And it didn't shock me all that much. Although I did learn some things that I did not know prior because I was pretty sheltered. And I became friends with the guests first because I was an intern and I had petty cash. And it was my job to entertain the guests and take them around town. And I was new to Chicago. So learning the town with the guests was a blast. I went to Navy Pier and I took them out on the lake and got to go to different diners and the House of Blues. And I'm like, this is the best job in the world. Right. And then after I started becoming friends with the guests, I really understood 
what the show was looking for and how to book the guests and become their friends and hear their stories and get them to come to Chicago. And I fell in love with that. It reminded me of kind of digging through the NPR newswire and finding a good story there. So my story junkiness, I believe, started in radio and then continued through casting The Jerry Springer Show. Okay. You want me to go on from there? What happened after Jerry? Yeah, go for it. I'm enjoying this so far. This is great. (laughs) Okay. So... I worked my way up from intern to producer in one season. At the end of the first season, they gave a few associate producers the opportunity to produce their own show, which was pretty cool because I had a PA and I had an intern and we all came together and booked some stories and got the chance to get them out on stage. And mine went well enough where I got to produce two shows and then I got promoted the next season to be a producer and I produced an entire season. Oh, wow. And... It was crazy. I learned a ton. One of the things that still stays with me to this day is that you cannot force a story. Right. (laughs) So, you know, I'd have one story that was amazing and made the crowd go wild. And then I'd have another story that was kind of quiet and awkward and I'd want it to be like the other one. And so sometimes I would try to push people to be what they weren't. And that did not translate well on stage. I'm sure that is one big lesson that I learned from working there. Um, cause it's a little humiliating when you try to do that to people. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, I will never forget me trying to get a girl to pull up her shirt and go after the crowd when that really was not her. It was painful for her and painful for me to watch backstage. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, What else did I learn? That was, that was really something that has stayed with me for a long time. Another thing that I learned on a different show, I worked on this VH1 show. No, was it VH1? It was an E show where they took a bunch of reality contestants that had been on a bunch of shows like Survivor and Apprentice and Real World. They had been on a variety of reality programs and they gave them an opportunity to live in a house together and star in a Hollywood feature. So my part of the job was I was a field interviewer for the reality show part. So I was watching all of the drama that unfolded in the house. And then I was also watching all of the drama as these reality stars tried to be in a Hollywood movie. Oh, okay. Now the producers are not supposed to be in the house when the film crew comes in the house because you'll get in a shot. Well, one time, I didn't realize the film crew was coming through the door. And so I was in the way of a big moment and that really sucked. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So you learn planning, you learn timing, you learn where you should stand and where you shouldn't stand, where you should enter, where you shouldn't enter. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That was embarrassing. Um, (laughs) I'm still learning that now, actually. So I'm producing a healthcare podcast right now. And one story that we did was there was a girl who was celebrating her four-year anniversary and she was coming to tell her story about working for the company. And we actually shot it on her four-year anniversary 
anniversary and we wanted to present her with a cake and a balloon and thank her for her service and for sharing her right. story with us. I totally entered the wrong way with the damn cake. Excuse my language. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> so I should have totally planned beforehand, like, should I walk in this way? What would look best in presenting it? Right. It's hard to remember all of those details, you know, when you're mm-hmm. like booking the stories, briefing the guests, writing the script, making sure they're comfortable, getting the cake, managing camera angles, right? Like there's so much to remember. And the one thing right. I didn't think about was presenting this cake from the best angle, right? Okay. So the cake shot was totally unusable. Like it's like me, my backside and presenting the cake. Like, <laughs> Yeah, there's a cake on the other side. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, good times. All right. So when did you decide that doing, even though you were enjoying it and you were enjoying, you know, the work that you were doing and all these different things and enjoying and clearly enjoying what you were learning, when did you decide it was time to venture out and do something else? Or why did you decide it was time to venture out and do something else? That's a great question. And actually a lot of people ask me a lot, like, do you miss it? And I do feel like the reason I've gotten back into podcasting and helping other people podcast and get back into like live shoots and stuff is because I did miss it. Okay. Um, I worked in television from, you know, right out of college until like mid to late twenties. So I got a good amount of opportunities mm-hmm. and truthfully, the reason I left Springer is because I started to get a little burnout. Like I didn't feel like there was anything outside of that place. Like I was living and breathing that show. I was living and breathing that environment. Um, I didn't think that there could be healthy relationships. You know, it's like when you're hearing that all of the time, like it starts to become your life and it did become mine. Like I even was like engaged to somebody that worked on the show. Um, which didn't work out, but it was becoming my life and I needed a change. And so that's why I moved to LA. Um, and then in LA, I got the opportunity to work on a variety of shows, Nanny 911 and that E show. And I worked for a mm-hmm. special effects animation company and they, you know, did team America and, you know, Disney interstitials. And I I learned the business side and the post-production side, and it was amazing, but I wanted to get married. I wanted to have a family. And so I met my husband actually on the third season of Nanny 911. Okay. And so I got married. I had three kids in four years. And then when my kids were in preschool, I started inching my way back into working and production. And I took a job as a stringer for a court TV show. And that turned into me working in like research and, and casting for five seasons of judge Alex. And I really enjoyed it. And then I started getting excited again about like digging through small claims (laughs) cases and finding interesting stories. And I was like, Oh, I'm back. And even though it wasn't really about like, obviously making very much money, it was that story junkie thing again, and and still communicating with Hollywood and like being able to find good stories and kind of get a kick out of that. Excellent. No, I think that there's you can have satisfaction even if even if the pay is not what you think it should be. I think that sometimes people mis or misconstrue happiness with large paychecks. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, you can be much happier with a smaller paycheck if it's something you enjoy. You know, 
hundred percent. And I really did enjoy it so much so that like I became friends with the clerks and I would like call them beforehand because I was going to like five different courts. And I'd be like, Hey, do you have a stack of cases? Cause I'm not driving an hour and a half if you don't. And is there anybody <laughs> else from any other court TV shows there? Cause I want to make sure I get those cases first. And I became such good friends with the clerks that like before the cases were entered into the system, I was grabbing them out of the files. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that was amazing. I loved it. Well, that's cool. All right. So where, when did some challenges start creeping in for you with, with all of these changes that you were, you were going through, what were the challenges that you had to overcome? One challenge with the court TV was, you know, going through so many cases and, you know, finding those good stories. Cause the majority of the stories were just people like landlord tenant stuff, you mm-hmm. know, So it was like having to get crafty and having to become friends with the clerks and having to know which days to show up. And, (laughs) you know, that was actually a challenge. And one of, you know, there, there were court houses that wouldn't give you the access like that, you know? So then you have to find other courthouses and, um, I even tried to do it on another show. I forgot which one, like divorce court or something. And, you know, relationships and who you work with is so key to success in any business. Mm -hmm. So when the lady that I had worked with and I knew her well for like five seasons ended up leaving a show that totally changed me even wanting to work on that show. And I, I couldn't do another court TV show because the way they operated they didn't pay in the same way. They didn't respect me in the same way. They didn't, you know, see the hustle. Like she really did, you know? So I felt like that was a challenge. Okay. Cause it ended like when the person that I had the good relationship with left the show, it's interesting too. I was just talking to somebody today. Um, I also got into like producing events for a little while where I was like working on live events with different influencers and I booked a few sponsorships and I got to be friends with a brand manager of spirit airlines. And when she left, (laughs) the person who took her place was not her. Right. So that relationship totally went away. And then I was thinking about the CEO of K Swiss also supported an event that I worked on a 350 person event. He like sponsored the venue, which was amazing. And he's such a special guy and he just stepped down as CEO. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, it's like, obviously I want to keep in touch with him and he's obviously going to do great somewhere else. But like when these relationships change and your hookups change, it changes everything for how you can even do your job or that opportunity. So sometimes you just have to like ride the wave, you know? Right, right. Okay. TV has really been riding the wave. I I worked for maybe two or three people while I was in LA. I went from show to show with them because if I found somebody good to work for, you want to go where they're going. Right. Yeah, I've I've heard that from other actors and and um you know, people on on my other shows. I I host another show called Funny Science Fiction Podcast. And in talking with some of the people on, on those shows, um, you know, like I talked with the actor whose name is, his name is Jed Brophy. He was in the, uh, 
uh, all the Lord of the Rings movies, all the Hobbit movies and, and things. And talking about how, you know, he's done like seven or eight Peter Jackson movies in total. And he did those because he likes Peter Jackson. He, he's like, I love working for Peter. He's he's a visionary. I like what he does and why he does it. Um, you know, so for him, it was having the, the continuity of personalities that he could that he could roll with and work with and being able to uh, talk with them and deal with them. So I, I kind of understand where you're coming from on that. A hundred percent. I worked for a post-production producer. He's actually the first one who gave me a shot at being a post-production supervisor. And he'd been in the industry for 20, 30 years. You know, it was, he was a well-oiled ship. He was so chill. He like literally gave me a list of deliverables and was kind of like, if you have any questions, let me know. Like trusted me from day one. He was like, if you can do Springer, you can do this. Right. And that is such a good attitude. Oh yeah. Yeah, you absolutely. want to work with people like that. That's like, call me if you need me. Otherwise, here's the deliverables. This is what I need. Figured out. Okay. So when you started, when you started to come back to work, now that you know, it's there's or, there's already inherently challenges with being a parent. I'm I'm a parent of, of three. Um, you know, those are the ones who don't have fur. Uh, so, you know, and then there's then there's the two dogs, the two cats. You know, so there's there's the household challenges. And then trying to come back to do work full time when you were when you were making that transition, what were some of the challenges that you faced for yourself in learning to become, you know, and, and you know, being mom, being, uh, you know, and then dealing with work as well? That is such a good question. And I have had to switch jobs because of that, actually. Okay. So I took a job as a program manager of a voiceover IP company and I got the job really from schmoozing. Like, you know, my husband worked for the parent company and he kind of got into conversation with them about some of the past work that I had done. And they created a new role for me. It was called like program manager or whatever. But my job mm -hmm. essentially was to help them with their internal marketing and to help them create lunch and learns and to help them with their online presence and whatnot. And so I was supposed to be able to like work essentially 10 to 2 but sometimes meetings went long or sometimes presentations went long. And I'm like, you know, having to take the train home from downtown and pick up my kids. And if I miss that train, like sometimes the next train's not for another hour. And then right. I'm like on the train and like trying to get the nanny to stay longer and she doesn't want to stay longer. And the, the balancing of babysitters, I went through like three babysitters in a year and a half. And like, when one's sick, what do you do? Like you still right. got to go to work, you know? So this was before COVID when there's like the whole work from home thing, there were a lot of companies. There was one company that I worked for. So after the voiceover IP company, I decided to take a little bit of a pay bump. I mean, uh, a, a pay decline, whatever. And, um, work for a financial firm that was a little bit closer to home. It was like 10, 15 minutes away and it was a director of marketing and sales role. And I would be able to pick up the kids a lot easier and I wouldn't have to do that commute. And so, um, but he too, like was like anti work from home. Like he wanted me to sign after I had made, you know, after I had been there for a year, he decided he wanted me to sign like a new employee handbook a year in saying that I would only work from home eight days or something like that. And I'm like, I've got three kids. Like one kid gets sick. They're all sick. And there's the eight days right there. That right. doesn't work. 
I'd like to remind you how kids work. They are <laughs> germ factories and they pass them along to one another. Especially if they're going to public schools. Uh, or childcare. Or childcare, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So honestly, I was like, I can't sign that. And so after a year and a half, and after he sent me to Tony Robbins for being a top performer, I was like, look, my phone's the one that's ringing. And I really like, was like, I know I can be an entrepreneur. Like, right. Yeah. So I decided to just literally, yeah, not sign that paper of agreeing to eight work from home days. And that, um, started my entrepreneurial journey. And what was so great is that my first event that I produced after leaving that firm was someone who I had hired. She hired me back to work on a Gary Vaynerchuk event because I had hired her to work on a financial planning event. And she knew that we worked well together in the trenches. So she was like, Hey, do you want to help me book sponsors for Gary? And I was like, well, I've never done that, but I totally could. And so she sent me a list of potential sponsors and I just figured out my message along the way. And I ended up booking spirit and I ended up booking somebody that I was connected with on LinkedIn. And I was like, going to Toronto, baby, you know, and nice. Yeah. And I got to meet Gary and I got to you know, be a part of a media junket. And then I was like, oh yeah, my fire has been lit. This is what I want to do. It was like, it kind of complemented my freelance bouncing from show to show background. Like entrepreneurship is that it's like, you know, you work on a pilot, it either gets picked up or you find another show. And entrepreneurship is like, find a client, you know, grow the client, you're with the client until they don't need you anymore. And you find another client, right? Right. (laughs) So that's kind of how I got to be where I am now. All right. Quick question for you, though, about the I want to ask you one more question about your boss who uh, wanted you to sign that that document after a year and a half. Now, clearly, you were you were doing really well the job you you're clearly enjoying the job, even though there was some some work life balance things that you were trying to sort out. What was the mental emotional impact for you though when he said uh i need you to sign this i did not like it i really it was it was really hard and i was torn too because he actually offered me a bigger commission oh if you would sign the the if i would sign it oh wow yeah like okay yeah But uh, we had just put on an event together in California and I had gotten like 55 people to show up single-handedly. Like I was the one who got, I did all the marketing. You know, I had the relationship with the person that we co-presented with. I felt like I had the relationships and my phone was ringing. And if I could do it for him, why can't I do it for myself? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a really tough decision. It took me a few months to uh, get over it. (laughs) Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And what's interesting is I ended up getting life insurance licensed because I was working for a financial firm and I was just the marketer, but I was like, Hey, I could get a piece of the pie, like teaming up with other agents, just like he does. Or I could get a piece of the pie, like teaming up with CPAs and doing the marketing, getting the people to come and Mm -hmm. being the agent on it. But I didn't love that industry to be honest. So it was like, even though I love doing the events and even though I love doing the marketing, it wasn't the right vertical. 
So I did a little shift and went from working in the financial space and putting on events there to actually working for, um, I ended up working for a seven figure coach. I ended up working on an e-commerce event and I enjoyed that space more. It felt less skeezy. Okay. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Since 1982, Vital Signs and Graphics has been helping professionals with all their image, logo, and design needs. Perhaps you're looking for signs and banners, truck and trailer lettering, business cards, brochures, or other image and marketing aids, Vital Signs and Graphics in-house design studio has you covered. From logos to apparel, start to finish, Vital Signs and Graphics has everything you need to look and feel professional. Call Rick at 231-652-3300. He'll get you noticed. And now back to Focused on Forward. So let's let's talk about where you're at now. We've talked about you know what you were doing, how you kind of worked your way through those things, some of the challenges you you had to kind of navigate through. So let's talk about the the beginning of the podcast. What was the you know, do you wake up one morning you're like, you know, maybe I should podcast. Well, I ended up working for Kathy Heller, the host of Don't Keep Your Day Job. Okay. And the way that happened was I was co-hosting a podcast a couple of years ago called Next Level People, where I was helping book the guests. And then I went from helping book the guests to being a co-host of the show. And there was a guy that was on that show that I thought would be awesome for her show. And her and I were friends from my LA days when we were both single. And I was like, oh my gosh, this guy has turned a passion and a talent into a business. And that's what her show is all about. So I was like, Hey, he's in LA. He's collaborated with Madonna and Britney Spears and Selena Gomez and some really big names. Like, would you like me to introduce you to him? Would you be interested? And she was like, actually, I'd like to film him in front of a live audience. And I was like, wow, I hadn't seen her in 12 years and I'd never met him in person. I just had him on this other show I was working on. So I was like, wow, I should totally fly out for that. Like that doesn't happen every day. So I I decided to do that. So I flew out there, introduced them. And then she was like, I want to hire you to get me more people like that. She didn't end up doing it in front of a live audience, but she ended up filming it at her house and it was so cool. And so I ended up going from booking her guests to becoming one of her coaches, to helping manage her Facebook group, to managing her Instagram. And I learned so much from that. And then I was like, you know, I call my dad for all my advice. My dad ran a company with his parents for 45 years. I feel like my dad has like wisdom and sarcasm and wit to share with the world. And who better than to be my cheerleader and somebody that I can talk to so comfortably than my dad. I literally call him every day. He is my best friend. And so the reason I wanted to do a show with him is because I knew that he would never back out. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. All right. So what's the name of the show? Better Call Daddy. There you go. All right. So, you know, I'll be honest with you. Uh, when we first started talking and I saw the name of your show, I guess I did not realize <laughs> that your dad was part of the show. And I was trying to figure out why you called it Better Call it. Okay. Now I understand. All right. That makes so much more sense. I just want to point that out. <laughs> uh, 
That's like a big light bulb just went off in the back of my head. So, okay, excellent. So what do you guys talk about on there? What do you guys, what do you guys like to talk about? What do you, what's, you know, what do you guys do, I guess? Oh my God, I got to tell you something so funny. So one of the stories that I did was Scott Miller of On Leadership. And he has endorsed a client's book for me and, um, he was on Kathy Heller's podcast and they did a podcast swap because of me. And we've had like a great ongoing relationship and I've read, I actually have his book right here, marketing mess to brand success. I've read his books. I love his show. And so he recently came on the better call daddy show. And I talked to him about his books and his career. And then at the end of every one of my better call daddy episodes, I say, is there anything that you'd like to ask my daddy? And he thought that that was so inappropriate he literally was like, nice try, Rena. I'm totally not answering that question. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you asked what we talk about. It's a wide range of subjects because okay. like I've looked in, ca- I've worked in casting. I love a good story. So I am fascinated by people and I feel like everybody has a story. They just haven't oh, sure. yet been told by me. And so I've interviewed phone sex operators. I've interviewed a Jeffrey Epstein survivor. I've interviewed CEOs. I've interviewed animal lovers. I've interviewed people with disabilities. I just, anybody that I am fascinated by and feel like I would like to learn from, I go after. And so I then, after I interview the guest without my dad, I edit the segment down share that with him. He listens to it on his own. And then we have a talk about the segment and I record that. So the ending of every show is my dad's reflection or the question that the guest has asked my dad. It's my dad's two cents and wisdom. My dad's final thought, like Jerry Springer. Oh, that's cool. I like that very much. All right. Excellent. So how, and uh, how long have you you been doing that? I launched the show last August. So almost a year, not quite yet a year. And it has just brought me and my dad so much closer. And I feel like we've both learned and grown from it. I mean, it's been extra special time with my daddy. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. You know what? And especially uh, over the last year where travel was harder, everything, well, let's just say it, everything was harder over the last year. Uh, What a nice way to be able to have a connection with your father um, you know, even if there's distance and things along those lines. So what a cool way to do that. Okay. Where can people find out more about your podcast? Bettercalldaddy.com. I was no. very happy to be able to get that domain. I wasn't able to get it on Twitter. So I think it's like a better call D-A-D-D-1 <laughs> at Twitter. Um, I am okay. on Instagram at Better Call Daddy Podcast and I'm on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn, Rena Friedman Watts. If you are a LinkedIn-aholic like me, please reach out. Okay, excellent. Very cool. If you if you wanted to make sure that somebody knew something specific about your podcast, what's the one thing that you would tell them that would entice them to listen? It's an intergenerational show. So I have interviewed husbands that have then introduced me to their wife. I actually had a friend who was pregnant at the same time as me. We had babies like within weeks of each other. I ended up interviewing her adoptive mom, her birth mom, and her birth sister. So 
one thing that I love doing is if I have a great guest, seeing if they want to pass me somebody else in their family. Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll, we'll make sure to note that as well in the in the notes. And I'll try and make sure we get all that, all your uh, locations into the notes uh, of the podcast when this airs so that people can find you and make sure that they have an opportunity to go find Better Call Daddy with Rena Friedman Watts. Now, before we conclude here, Rena, I do have two questions that I need to ask you that I ask every single guest. So, well, I got to stop saying every single because I, I, I'm botched it on one and she got away scot-free without me asking her. So I have to say nearly every single guest. So, and Terry, you know, I, I mean you. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> Terry gets a shout out. That's right. Terry gets a shout out almost every episode. Uh, anyway, so looking back over the entirety of your journey, what's the single greatest lesson that you have learned? Hmm. That's a great question. I think I learned it recently because my dad actually gave me this advice and I have gotten in trouble in television for this as well. Okay. Never force a story. Right. So I had a great story that came my way. And when you have a great story, you like start acting differently, but everybody is human, right? Like you shouldn't put people on pedestals. And I have such a problem of doing that. Like where you start bending weird ways to try to get a great story. But let me tell you what a great story actually is. A great story is the guest, is their connection with you. And if you start bending just because of someone's title or who they are or what their story is, it won't make a great story. You've got to be able to be yourself and not get like different around people. Okay. So I I had that situation in the past 24 hours where I had a story I really wanted And that guest asked me if they could have the questions beforehand. I never do that on my show. My show is like yours. It's very conversational. It's very Mm -hmm. free flowing. I don't want it to feel scripted. I don't want it to feel like they're prepared for it. I still want to be able to like throw them curveballs, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my dad was like, do not do that again. He was like, that will change the vibe of your show. He was like, they either want to do it or not. You have no shortage of guests. He was like... You know what I mean? Don't yeah. bend just because they have a, a title or a great story or they're being demanding. It's your show. You know, you call the shots. He was like, do not bend. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's a good lesson. All right. So now the second question is very similar to the first question. And you could have honestly used that answer for the second question. Looking back over your journey in life, what's the single greatest piece of advice you've been given? Mm. Yeah, it is. It is very similar to the first, but just different enough. The first thing (laughs) that comes to mind and part of the reason I I left that financial company was because my dad said he did not work hard his entire life for me to be treated badly or not feel good about the work that I'm doing. Mm hmm. He was like, I refuse. He was like, he encouraged me to leave. Like he felt like 
it was time to go. He was like, you should not slave yourself to anyone. And that gave me the freedom and the confidence to walk out the door, truthfully. Okay. Good yeah. Advice. That's good advice. All right. Yeah. It's just, you know, your state of mind and your mental health and like, you put so much into work. So you should be valued for the work that you're doing and the time that you're putting in. And, and right. Yeah. The sacrifices you're making the and time this, away from your family. Yes. All those things. Yes. And, and if someone can't be flexible with you and value you and is treating you like a doormat, absolutely. You do not have to put up with that and you will find someone who values you and where you can shine. Agreed. Absolutely. Your dad sounds like a pretty smart fella. I will have to have you on so you can <laughs> get some daddy but, wisdom. There you go. I'd love that. That'd be great. Well, Rena, again, thank you so much for being on Focused on Forward. I have very much thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I have enjoyed our, our pre-show conversation as well. Um, you're just an you're just a delight to have on. I'm I very much enjoyed this. So thank you for being a guest and thank you for sharing your story. You are a fantastic interviewer, and I very much enjoyed connecting with you. Awesome. All right, guys, that's going to conclude us today for Focused on Forward. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at podcastfof, through our Facebook page named Focused on Forward, or through email focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay focused on forward.